Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 156. Okay, today I'm talking about something that I know even less about than normal, which I know is pretty hard to imagine, but it's true. I'm talking about crypto. So a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine alerted me to a new crypto, a new blockchain, I guess, called Chia. And the idea was new. It was proof of time and space as opposed to the more standard proof of work or, or proof of stake. And the idea was you would segment 100 gigabytes, basically, on your computer, and each of those would be called a plot, each 100 gigabytes, and all these people across the web would do the same thing, and then every 10 minutes, one of the plots would win the new coins as a reward. And the idea behind this was that it's not energy intensive, which is becoming a larger and larger issue with Bitcoin being proof of work. I actually do this. I download the program and I get my key and I establish my plot and I see there are four million other plots. (laughs) So I have one plot and there are four million others I'm competing against. And then over the next week, I take my plot from one to three. So now I have three plots. I have 300 gigabytes basically on my computer dedicated to running this program. But in that week, the number of total plots goes from 4 million to 10 million, okay? And it's increasing by like a million plots a day. And so basically, the odds of me winning are zero. And remember, every one of these plots is 100 Gibby bytes. Okay, now that means, that means, well, every Gibby byte is 1.024 gigabytes because it's in binary. Two to the 10th power is 1,024. So just think about that, right? There were 10 million plots at 100 Gibby bytes per plot. Just insane escalation. This scaled so quickly. And you have the same issue with Bitcoin mining. You either have to go big or go home, and only the big companies can get scale fast enough to matter. And they have to do it fast because no matter how big you are, well, these setups are turning into red queen dilemmas where, where, well, escalation occurs. And that means you have to scale as fast as possible just to stay in the same place. <laughs> so your investment goes up, but the total return stays flat. And so return on investment plummets. And I think that's one reason that Riot blockchain, you know, that's a public company. That's one reason I think Riot is probably worthless because the competition is scaling so quickly. Now, stepping back, I think this means that blockchain hasn't actually eliminated middlemen. And that was what it was designed to do. Instead of eliminating middlemen, it's replaced them. You have to pay the the exchanges like Coinbase or Gemini massive fees just to buy Bitcoin. And you have to pay the Bitcoin and Ethereum miners through the nose (laughs) if you want to create a transaction, any transaction, if you just want access to the blockchain. Gas prices on Ethereum are insanely high, and level two solutions like Plasma or Optimistic Rollups haven't fixed the scalability problem yet. Although, you know, caveat, 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 Polygon is now on Aave, so we may be seeing some progress. Now, this escalation, this red queen theory, which means you have to run as fast as you can just to stay in the same place, means that prices have to go up because the price or the difficulty or the cost of proof of work is going up just as as the price of proof of time and space is going up. It's one thing to have 100,000 plots competing. It's another thing to have 10 
million plots competing. And the danger, I think, is relatively straightforward. Incremental use cases won't be able to afford gas prices, and and even incremental miners are going to walk away because they're never going to win. And that leads to Bitcoin and Ethereum ending up as either, well, either one, overly centralized and, and not very innovative, or two, not trustless and therefore more susceptible to attack. And either way right now, I think this is the real danger of limiting the use of blockchain in ordinary transactions. Now, here's another example. Okay, another example is DeFi. Aave is a DeFi platform. And, and on Monday, I dumped a fair bit of money into DAI on Aave. And DAI is a stablecoin. And I did this because Aave had launched their liquidity rewards so if you parked money in the form of this DAI stablecoin on Aave, they didn't just give you interest, they gave you Aave. They gave you a stake in the actual platform. So that was Monday. By Wednesday, the market size on Aave had doubled to over $8 billion. So in two days, the value of my rewards were cut in half from maybe, uh, let's say, a 6% annual yield on the liquidity I was providing to maybe a 3% annual yield. And since Wednesday, the market has grown another 50%. So now I think my yield on that is closer to 2%. And I looked at how much it would cost me to claim those rewards, right, these, these Aave tokens I'm being given in exchange for providing liquidity. And the answer was, a hundred guai or gui, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, or you know, in our terminology, $170 <laughs> for one transaction. And then the next day it was down to 26 guai or $47. And meanwhile, the interest rate on DAI is just as volatile. It went from 9% to like 20% down to 3%. And so now I'm currently looking at like a 5% annual yield, which is like 2% from the liquidity rewards and 3% just, you know, die on die. <laughs> and that's okay. But you compare that to just holding Bitcoin or Ethereum and 5% starts to look a little crappy. And if you own Bitcoin or Ethereum and you want to make interest by lending those coins directly, well, your interest rates are essentially zero. Anyway, my takeaways from these two events, my Chia disaster and my investment in, in liquidity in Aave, well, they're pretty straightforward, okay? Crypto markets are insanely efficient, and they're fast to skate to where the money is. Arbitrage opportunities don't last. Just opportunities don't last. And the frictional cost of moving money around, the cost of chasing these opportunities is so high right now that, that the average schmuck like me, <laughs> I'm probably the definition of the average schmuck, well, the average schmuck is going to be the loser. So if I'm the loser, if the average schmuck is the loser, who's the winner? Well, the first winner, I think, are the big players, the institutions that have the scale necessary to profit from these massively high frictional costs. Just like in the normal stock market, right, where you have these WSBers who are paying billions of dollars a year to Ken Griffin and the high-frequency trading boys in order to get access to the market in order to get liquidity. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You have the same problems in this new economy. And then the other group I think that's going to win are just the developers, right? They have the inside track. They know what's coming. They can get in on these opportunities first and then ride them and sell them to people like me. 
I don't know if you guys know who Balaji is, but he has a project called 1729, which is essentially these little rewards offered online to get people to do small programs and and sort of get positive feedback. And in theory, this is going to help people all over the world start to learn how to program, start to get familiarized with programming and crypto and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's very admirable because it's essentially an on-ramp for brains to get into crypto. And crypto right now just feels like this enormous opportunity because, let's face it, opportunity everywhere else has basically been turned down to zero. But in crypto, it's still alive. Look, all the DeFi platforms right now are their own banks. They're printing their own tokens and they're giving them away to people who build stuff to help improve the platforms or, or the liquidity pools or the DeFi protocol or whatever. For example, Polygon alone is printing $100 million of Matic of their token, and just giving it away to developers. And that ignores completely the existing assets held by these distributed autonomous organizations, the DAOs, the DAOs. For example, and this is going to blow your mind, but Uniswap is a blockchain-based exchange, and it has $7 billion, US dollar, $7 billion worth of tokens on its balance sheet. Now, maybe I'm drinking the crypto Kool-Aid, but this feels like a wealth transfer revolution from assets to developers, from from legacy wealth to brains. Okay, look what's going on in the normal world in what I call fiat land, (laughs) right? Because they're based in fiat currencies. Well, in fiat land, you have exploding debt, rising inflation, minimal opportunity, skyrocketing taxes. And all of this is going to act as a huge vacuum cleaner to fiat land wealth in general. All of the tools are there for the government to just take everything you own. Now, on the other hand, you have crypto land, where the developers are the ones who benefit from the Cantillon effect. They get first dibs on printed tokens because they're the ones who can actually add value to these platforms. They can add value to DeFi. They can add value to the blockchain. And they are going to learn about these opportunities before the plebs before the average schmucks like me. Every single one of these coins basically acts as their own federal reserve. But rather than printing money to bail out the banks, rather than printing money to bail out the elite, the money printed is going to explore this this infinite dimension space of what's possible using the blockchain. And I don't know what they're going to discover. I mean, again, we are talking about some of the smartest people on the planet, (laughs) and they are incentivized by billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars to actually build something, a lot of somethings, anything, without regulation, without red tape, without environmental hearings, without borders. I mean, how frickin' cool is that? Anyways, that's all I got this week. I'll catch you later.